0: He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC.
1: Good morning. Hi, Dick everybody. Morris. Good
0: morning, Dick Morris. I'm
1: here today with Doug DePiro. Hello. And yeah. um, Doug, as you know, is my uh, the guy who writes, does the music here, and is an all time artist and uh, futches with cars and uh, women and everything. <laughs> women? What? Well, yeah.
0: Gotta say
1: that. Like <laughs> tries that. to repair cars and women. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I can repair the cars. No yeah. problem. He's That's like, easy.
1: he's the guy James Taylor wrote "Handyman" for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Doug and I were at the Rally for Trump in Michigan yesterday. It was great. We're still in Michigan. We're doing this remotely. Uh, and uh, it was really great. He was terrific. Can I just uh, tell a
0: quick quick joke, a quick story? Yeah. So, we're in a... You would anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. So, we're in a VIP thing, whatever, you know, special. And there's names on all the chairs, folding chairs, not very comfortable. And there's names on the bottoms of the chair. Dick Morris, Doug DiPiro, uh Uh, Mike Lindell. So Dick's walking by, and he sees Mike Lindell's chair. He's not sitting there yet. And the first thing he says, he goes, where's his pillow? (laughs) What a chair. He needed
1: it. It was a very uncomfortable chair. (laughs) Where's his pillow?
0: (laughs) I don't know. It was was funny then. You know, it was
1: funny. Watching Trump live at this rally was a bit like going to a Yankee game after watching it on TV. It's so much more vivid in person. And uh, you know, Aaron Judge and uh, Donald Trump are so much taller and bigger in person <laughs> yeah. than than he's you brilliant see it on Donald television. Trump. He was brilliant. He was very good. He's so smart. Uh, and his key point that I thought was was effective and important is to warn everybody that uh, that they're coming for you. That he's they're coming for Trump is just an example. And, uh, they're closing in on everybody.
0: He's just in the way of all the it people. It doesn't take a
1: paranoid to understand what's going on here mm. and the importance of stopping it very quickly. But I'd like to start today by talking about a wonderful topic, uh, to cheer you all up for a Sunday, okay. nuclear war. Oh, God. Uh, this is coming closer and closer and the dangers here are escalating enormously. Uh, The Ukrainians have captured the city of Lyman uh, in eastern Ukraine, which is the rail center and the communications hub of the area. Without controlling Lyman, the Russians cannot supply their troops with weapons and and even food. And it's the, the capture of that is enormous. And it came the day after Putin annexed it. So he annexed it yesterday, and today Ukraine captured it. Uh, so it, he looks horrible in that. It is such an embarrassment and such a humiliation. And there also is evidence that the the, the Russian army uh, surrendered with minimal fighting. The Russians claim there were huge casualties on the Ukrainian side, but despite that, they managed to hold on. And that's baloney. The fact is that it was very... It was not easy, but it was not as contested as it normally is. The Russian troops are losing their morale. And the 300,000 new troops that Putin has called up are basically old men who get handed a rifle, who had some training, you know, 40 years ago, and now they're told go out and fight. And they have no motivation, no interest. There are riots all over Russia about the draft. And... I think that it is very possible that he may, in desperation, use nuclear weapons.
0: Desperado Why don't you come to your senses You've been out riding fences for so long Vladimir
1: is truly the desperado. And when he's desperate, God knows what's going to happen. Ramazan Kadyrov, K-A-D-Y-R-O-V, Kadyrov, who is the leader of Chechnya and a key Kremlin ally, actually yesterday called on Putin to use nuclear weapons against Ukraine. Really? Uh, First time a Russian official has openly and explicitly called for the use of atomic bombs in Ukraine. amazing. And Yegevny Prigushin, a Russian oligarch who is a very close confidant to Putin, an hour afterwards echoed the call for the use of nuclear weapons. Wow. And uh, these are the first times that that word has been used and that that, that this threat has become is explicit. And that's in the wake of Russia admitting that it had withdrawn from Lyman on Saturday in the face of, quote, significant superiority in forces and means, which gives Ukraine a major battlefield victory and makes the resupplying of Russian troops ever more dangerous and more difficult. So you really have a very, very dangerous situation approaching. Uh, And you don't hear anything from the United States to talk about deterring it. The fact is that we have enormous capacity to deter it. Russia is incredibly vulnerable to economic sanctions that we could launch against it. We have to remember that Russia gets half of its budget revenue from energy and gas. Gets half of its government revenue from energy and gas. So instead of taxation, their receipts come in the form of oil and gas sales. And if those sales are curtailed or cut off... Russia has no budget. it has no way to pay its officials, no way to pay its army, no way to continue its military operations. It literally is like in the u s we call it a government shutdown, uh, but this would this would be a real shutdown and uh the and and we have the capacity with Europe to stop buying Russian oil and gas it 's that simple uh. Europe would have to replace that energy, particularly as they approach the winter. But they're increasingly able to do so. The Nord Stream pipelines aren't, are dry. Uh, pipeline one, because the Russians turned it off. Pipeline two, because the Europeans stopped it from functioning. But there is another pipeline that runs from Norway to Poland under the Baltic. Uh, there are large deliveries of liquefied natural gas coming from the United States. The North Sea fields off Scotland, uh, and Norway are very prolific in providing energy. And, uh, Europe could muddle through for a while. Uh, it's gonna be, it would be tough, but they're augmenting the pipeline capacity rapidly. The pipelines really are not a problem of, as much of getting the gas into Europe as distributing it within Europe. Most of the liquefied natural gas the U.S. would send to them, by the way, the only way we can do that is because Trump doubled our capacity to liquefy natural gas. The only way it can, place that they can get to is Spain. It's the closest to the United States. And uh, Spain does not have good pipeline connections with France or Germany or Eastern Europe. Uh, so it could be difficult to distribute it within there. But uh, this really, there is a lot the U.S. can do. Uh, we can also expel Russia from the World Trade Organization. We can probably move to expel it from the United Nations. Um, we can certainly expel it from the World Bank and the IMF and all U.N. agencies. It, we have a we. We'd have to win the votes on that, and Russia could veto it, but in effect, they'd be expelled. And we can isolate Russia completely. I think we should threaten to break off diplomatic relations with Russia, which is usually a step right before war if they use nuclear weapons. and But the point is we need to paint this dramatic and dire scenario now. Uh, Biden needs to get up there tomorrow and say this is what's going to happen if you go nuclear so that they don't. We have to really paint the picture for them and lay, lay it out because the question is not our capability. The question is our intention and our willingness to do it. And that's the weak link, Joe Biden. And he needs to get up there and explain explicitly what we would do in the event Russia used nuclear weapons. And Donald Trump needs to get out there and lay out what... He would have done, if he were president, to do this right. as a way of ratcheting up pressure on the Biden administration. I'm planning a phone call with President Trump tomorrow with John Jordan, my friend who's the, an expert in this, from uh, flu, who is fluent in Russian, uh, to explain to Trump what the options are. I'm not sure he's been adequately briefed, and uh, and he needs to have that. But we're really approaching a crucial crisis period in our history
0: talk radio 77 wabc it's sunday and you know what that means here's dick morris on 77 wabc
1: It's ironic that Doug programmed the second song here being Secret Agent Man. I was at the Trump rally yesterday, and about about 800 people are in on the secret. They all came over and said hello and go and help Trump and all that. So I don't know if we should do Secret Agent Man anymore. I think the secret might be out, Forget going to the bathroom. Yeah, right. (laughs) You can stop 44 times. Um, Okay, so... If Russia were to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine, it would not be most likely battlefield tactical nuclear bombs that explode in Ukraine. Because, first of all, it's hard to do that without killing a lot of Russian troops. And secondly, the radioactivity from it would go all over the place. Uh, Wherever the wind is blowing, the fallout would go. It could be blowing west to east, which means it goes right back over Russia and kills lots of Russians. Uh, and also, once you do that, once you explode a nuclear bomb on the battlefield, it becomes uninhabitable. Uh, troops cannot walk through it. Tanks can't even go through it. The troops would need special uniforms, special equipment, and the tanks would need to be treated with special chemicals. And the Russians don't have the training or the time, or necessarily the logistics to be able to do that. It would be like bombing yourself. So it's very unlikely that this will actually be a nuclear explosion. Uh, And I think that, but I think the far more likely thing is that it's going to be an electromagnetic pulse, which we'll abbreviate as EMP, that is truly terrifying. And this is a weapon that, At some point, our adversaries will probably try to use against the U.S. over the U.S. It's a nuclear weapon that does not kill anybody, although it kills millions indirectly. It's what happens when you explode an atomic bomb over a country high enough so that it's not affected. When you explode a bomb over a city, it usually goes off about a mile up. But with an atomic, but with an EMP, it goes up in the atmosphere over the country, and its effect is to jam all of the electronic signals in the country.
0: And fry some of them. What you fry them? Yeah. Fry some of so
1: them. that that there are no lights, there's no no communication. Hospitals have to close. Uh, street lamps don't go on. Uh, the lights go out. Not Georgia, Ukraine, is it? Couldn't we find a song, Doug, that said the lights go out in Ukraine? I tried, I tried, Well, Georgia's in the former Soviet Union.
0: And in the country.
1: And the estimates of casualties are horrific. If it were to happen in the United States, the estimates are something like 20 or 30 million people dead. And Really? Uh, yes, and it would be horrible over Ukraine. Now. The So, so the, the key is to deter that and to do that by threatening to destroy the Russian economy. If we had imposed sanctions on Russia, uh, or an embargo really is what we're talking about, uh, the Russian economy would never recover. Uh, they're like Saudi Arabia. Their entire economy and entire budget is based on oil and gas, and they can't sell it to other customers. The other two big customers would be India and China. But that can't replace Europe and America because Russia does not have adequate pipeline capacity to send the gas and the oil to China from Russia, or much less to India. So they would be drowning in their own oil and their own gas, and they couldn't send it to anyone. They couldn't sell it. And the effect of that on the Russian economy would would be like nuclear winter. Um, The whole country would fall apart. And it's very doubtful that Putin or even the communist regime in the first place or whatever they are regime could survive that. Uh, It it literally would just – so it becomes mutually assured destruction, which is the way we refer to strategic nuclear exchanges. But the – The effects on on Ukraine would be horrific, and Ukrainians would be treated not to emergency announcements or bulletins or anything like that, but the sounds of silence.
0: Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping. we play this all day long because stickers on the computer reading.
1: No, I'm kidding. So let's go to Judith in Brooklyn, my Judith. Old friend and reliable caller. Last week uh, I don't think you called, but the week you know, you never called. You never yeah, write.
0: write yeah.
1: Hey Judith, <laughs> what's up?
0: You're keeping tabs on me. That's very nice. Yeah, that's We are. We, we do this. Okay, great. First of all, while you're at it, before I want to tell you what I tell you, please tell President Trump that I think he is the best president, American president ever had. I'm telling you right now, he's the yeah. best. We miss him terribly. We need him so badly. It's not even funny anymore. Dick, please explain to me how, in 2009, and even now with Biden's administration. In Cairo, Obama gave the green light for Iran, who is number one the biggest terrorist sponsor, mm. uh permission for a nuclear atomic bomb, even though Iran has repeatedly threatened Israel Israel, you know, to wipe them off the face of the map. I mean, how does that, you know And he and sent like, the money. He sent the money too.
1: Yeah, well Yeah, in cash. And- well, it, it's it's late to speculate on Obama's motivation. Uh, it was terrifying when he was president, and, and it's it's thank God it's not that relevant now. The question on Iran, of course, is that they're absolutely falling apart. There've been three months, three weeks of violent street demonstrations in every city in Iran, 157 of them. Really. And uh, the U.S. media is not covering this. It's probably the biggest story in the world that they are not covering. You just don't read it. The only reason I know about it is I get a lot of emails from Iranian groups. But uh, there have been hundreds killed, tens of thousands arrested, and uh, Iran is on the verge of of revolution. Um, But you're right. It is a serious threat, and it would be a long-term issue because – if we do cut off energy supplies to energy purchases from Russia and Russia goes broke, China really doesn't have a source of support for its industry of oil and gas. And if Iran get, is getting trillions from Biden, they could step in and fill that void. So it becomes very important to measure what's going on with Iran. Um, the uh, I, I want to go to Al and... Yonkers, uh, Doug stomping ground.
0: Hey, out, hey, oh, Dick. I just wanted, hi, Dick. I just wanted to say uh, my question about the previous caller. I just wanted to say a person who, before I get to my question, uh, I know you're busy. Just quickly, John Kerry, he has the ear of Joe Biden, and he's a big supporter of Iran, as you know. Yeah. He, uh, he goes over the top with that. I just wanted to say my question to you is: recently, the vice president was asked a question. Uh, in your the situation, and yeah. it was—you could tell—it was over her head, and she started to giggle. Uh, it, it's come to my conclusion, yeah. uh, probably to yours, and so many people throughout this nation, that she's incompetent. She probably is the worst vice president. And I like Dan Quayle as a person, his ideology, but he also wasn't up to the job. Yeah. So since we him, have, she's probably we, the most. Uh, this, you know, unqualified
1: for the position. he do we have Kamala's cackle, cackle on tape?
0: So the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. And yeah. it is an alliance that is strong and enduring. I mean,
1: it's South Korea, really, before yeah, right, yeah. the Korean War. Cackle Harris. Our troops didn't go in the wrong direction. Yeah. But we, we right. have her cackle, I think, don't we? Is he? No, we, we don't. Okay. but We'll find it. We'll find it. But she, And if we don't, she'll do it again. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about her a little later in the show. But uh, the, the danger that we face now from an EMP, from a nuclear attack, is unbelievable. Now, let's get something straight and clear here. The reason that Ukraine is winning this war is because Donald J. Trump went to Europe in 2017 to the NATO summit, and he said, if you guys don't pony up for your defense, don't count on us to fill the gap. We're not going to carry your load for you. You all committed yourself to spending 2% of your GDP on defense, and almost none of you were doing it. Germany was at like 1.1%, France was at 09 And he said, I want all of you to get up to 2% or we're out of here. Uh, We're not going to fill in the void for you. And the media went crazy. They said his first foreign trip is an abject failure. He's earned the condemnation of every Western leader. Uh, He almost broke apart NATO. Uh, He's being condemned from one end of the continent to the other. But eventually they quieted down and they did pony up. $130 $130 billion dollars more each year for NATO spending on defense. And that's the money that gave NATO the armaments that it is now shipping to Ukraine to permit Ukraine to hold Russia at bay. NATO was discredited as a military power before Trump did that. It was laughable. Uh, there was no issue with the Red Army being able to do anything it wanted to do in Europe. And Trump changed that. I think it's very important that we realize that.
0: MinorityGoldGuide.com Talk Radio 77 WABC This is 77 WABC And this is the Dick Morris Show One hour get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right <laughs> Secret Agent Man Secret Agent Man They've given you A number So let's go
1: through a briefing now on what's happening with the Senate and with the by-year elections coming up. Before June, it looked like there would be a massive Republican sweep, killing every Democrat in its wake. And then the court ruled in reversing Roe v. Wade. And don't listen to what the conservative Republicans are saying. It was a disaster. And it almost ended the ability of the Republicans to take away Congress. Uh, the the right to lifers don't want to say that because they don't want to take responsibility for it. But it damn near killed us. So in July and in August, the Democrats gained until by the middle of August in the generic ballot, if you had to vote for somebody this week right now in your congressional district. Would you vote Democrat or Republican? The Republicans went from nine point edge, ten point edge to a five point edge to a tie with the Democrats. Now in September, we've opened up a five point margin over the Democrats. And, and things are looking much, much better. September was clearly our month, just as July and August was their month. And Clearly, the momentum has tipped now toward the Republican Party. We'll go through why later, but let's talk about where the state of play is now. For the Republicans to take over the Senate, we have first to hold the seats which are in danger. The reason it's so tough is that we have twice as many Republicans running for re-election this year as Democrats. That's just because the way the cycle works. It's six-year terms for the Senators – but elections every two years. So only 33 senators are up each election cycle. And of the 33 this year, roughly 20 of them are Republicans, and only about 13 of them are Democrats. So we have many more seats to defend and many fewer targets to take away. But so far we're defending all of them, and we need to defend every seat we have and take away at least one Republic eight, one Democratic seat, because it's 50-50 now, and that would make it 51-49. So first let's talk about the the, uh, the keepers, the ones that we need to keep. They are Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Ohio, are the four big air rep- Democratic targets that we have to defense. And uh, we're increasingly doing it. Uh, Wisconsin, where uh, Ron Johnson is the senator, and he delayed saying he was going to run for re-election. He was undecided, and that weakened his position. Uh, but the Democrats fortunately stepped into the breach by nominating their worst candidate, a total maniac named um, Mandela Barnes. And he is absolutely impossible. Uh, he overtly says he wants to defund the police he overtly says he wants to pardon people now in jail and clean out the prisons. That's nice. Uh he says overtly that the only way we can deal with climate change is to stifle capitalism, that's his words. And uh <laughs> Who's he has going to pay for the cleanup? Yeah, and he's now fallen in real clear politics average behind by over 2 um and he's probably further behind in fact. Uh the second is North Carolina where our candidate is named Bud running against Beasley, who is uh the, uh no, I'm not Beasley, running against somebody, I forget the name, who is the Democrat. But Bud uh, was in trouble because he had a very tough primary fight and really came through it battered. But he's now three ahead in three polls. So North Carolina is okay. The more somewhat more difficult one is Ohio, where J.D. Vance is running. But the latest, po- there were, was a period in early September where Vance had staked out a five-point lead. But by the end of September, Ryan, his Democratic opponent, had come back, and now Vance is only two ahead. Uh, but I think that he's gonna pull it out. Uh, Ohio is a very Republican state now, and uh, and the indications I think are very good for Vance. Uh and then you come to Pennsylvania, which is the toughest of the defensive seats. Uh the good news is that the most recent poll is from Emerson, which is Democrat but somewhat fair, and they have um, they have the the Democrats up by only two, Fetterman over Oz, forty five, forty three. And that's down from four in August. So even according to Emerson, we've cut their lead in half. And Fox has uh, the Republicans four behind, but that's down from 11 behind in July. And the the fact is that Fetterman is very much on the defensive now because his health is obviously terrible. He's not recovered from the stroke. He has difficulty speaking an English sentence, and he's refused to debate until the very end of the election, and he's refused to release his medical records. And increasingly, people are piling on about that. So the momentum in Pennsylvania is certainly in our favor. Now, before I go further, I just want to spend a minute on the unreliability of these of polls, the anti Republican bias of polls. Long ago, not long, but a few years ago, pollsters began to switch from telephone polling to internet polling because it's cheaper and it's faster and what they do, but on internet polling you you can't call strangers you don't have their e-addresses and you can't do it like on phone calls where you random dial and you get someone on the phone you can conduct a survey if they're willing with the internet you need people who've already agreed to participate in surveys so every survey research company has a pool of maybe 50,000 people if they're lucky who have agreed to participate in surveys and they're all for incentives uh if you participate in the survey you have a one in twenty chance of getting uh five hundred dollars or something or a toaster or (laughs) or some some come on toaster Uh, i need a toaster yeah some even offer travel wait
0: toaster oven or regular toaster
1: i don't know whatever it is it cooks you (laughs) but (laughs) but 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 the point is that that it's an incentive so you you have two built-in problems there. First of all, the people who use the Internet regularly tend to be more upscale than the people who don't. Uh, and secondly, the incentive means that people who are not likely to vote say they're likely to vote so they can participate in the lottery and have a chance of winning. And thirdly, people who take a lot of polls, one after the other after the other, probably end up being better informed and following stuff more than people that don't, and all three of those bias in favor of liberals. So there's a built-in bias in this polling. There's also the bias of the fact that it's all run by Democratic firms that are liberal or Republican firms that are rhino and anti-Trump. So there's a bias of intent. And one of the reasons that you see the Republicans closing in September and coming back more in October, is simply that the survey research firms have been faking the numbers and they don't want to get caught on election day. When the real poll comes in and it turns out that Oz carries Pennsylvania by like five points and they have all said he would lose Pennsylvania by ten, mm-hmm. they have egg on their face. And having blown the calls in 20, 2016, 2018, and 2020, being wrong all three years, always overstating the Democratic vote, their feeling is if they're wrong in 2022, they might well be out of business. So they are g- readjusting their numbers as we speak to come closer and closer to the true Republican strength.
0: What do you think the reason is for them to skew? That they're, bi- they're
1: ideologically biased. They're, they're liberals. Even if it's going to hurt them? Yeah. Well, they won't let it kill them. That's why they're changing it. Mm. But yeah. And, uh, and, and it's, and then on top of that all, you have the fact that the, that the media that publishes these results itself is biased and will only cover the numbers if they're favorable to their party. Uh, And there's a point in the bias. It's not just that they want to make the Republicans feel bad. It's that they want to stop people from giving money to the Republicans. Ah, Uh, And so we were in Michigan with Tudor Dixon, who is their candidate for governor, a really good lady. And uh, the polls, there's one poll that says she's 12 behind. Uh, The fact is she's about six behind. And they're publishing the 12 because the Detroit Free Press that – Control that, that really is the main newspaper in the election wants people not to give money to Tudor. So by publishing that she has no chance and she's gone, they can dry up her money. So it's a very practical calculation.
0: Pretty horrible. The
1: other thing, let me stress, is that the, there is every indication that Republicans will do better than the polling because their vote is much more motivated. First of all, the Republican turnout in the primaries this year was several times larger than the Democratic turnout in the primaries, which is a very good sign. Secondly, the new voter registrations in these states is overwhelmingly Democrat, something like 150,000 more Republicans than Democrats registered to vote in Pennsylvania since the 2020 election. And in Florida, 500,000 Republicans have joined the electorate compared to only 18,000 Democrats. So that all indicates that turnout is likely to favor us. And polls are very bad at measuring turnout because all they can do is ask someone you likely to vote. And particularly if a yes answer is incentivized like we were talking about, you get that overstated. So, and then in addition to all of that, you have the you have the basic fact that the momentum here is with the Republicans because the issues are so clearly Republican, and the issues of inflation and that stuff have gotten so much stronger, whereas abortion, which is the main democratic calling card uh has faded somewhat. first of all, I told you last week that pro life sentiment is up by five points. The feeling is the Democrats peaked too early with their attack on abortion, and they impelled their rise in August, but by now the issue is kind of worn. And in every state there's a solution. Every state there's there's some kind of offset to it. For example, in Michigan, uh, we, we just had this rally. The big issue was abortion against Tudor Dixon, but there's a ballot proposition on the ballot that will probably pass, permitting abortion right up to the moment of delivery. It's a horrible amendment, no parental consent, don't even have to notify parents. But because it's on the ballot, what difference does the governor's race make? Because even if a Republican or Democrat is elected, the ballot proposition is a constitutional amendment and it will prevail. In every state, there's a rationale like that where it be is less and less likely that abortions will actually be banned any place. So with that having been said, now let's look at the takeaways. And there the situation is more iffy, but it's, it's not clear. The most important state right now is Nevada, where Cortez Masto, who is the, the incumbent Democratic senator, has been running against Paul Laxalt, who's Father and grandfather were governor and senator. It's a very frequent, prominent name in Nevada. And uh, in the last polls, he's three points and four points ahead. Uh, There is one. He used to be one point behind. Then he was one point ahead. Then he was three points ahead. And then we have two most recent polls saying he's four points ahead. The only thing that's insecure about Nevada is cheating there is not a recent phenomenon. Uh, the graveyards are filled with frequent voters in, in Nevada, and the whole state is so totally corrupt that you can't really depend on it. But it looks like Laxalt is, is on the verge of a very strong victory that may make it too hard to steal. The other, the other big takeaway question is Georgia where the electorate is probably, the elections probably now as close to honest as it's ever going to get because they passed an election reform bill that really eliminates drop boxes, requires photo ID, requires signature verification, the whole bit. And that's now the law. It takes effect for this election. And uh, as a result in the polling, Stacey Abrams, or Bet Noir, who, who uh, worked hard to, uh, destroy the credibility, destroy the 2020 election. He's <clears throat> now five points behind Kemp. Uh, was the Republican in the governor's race. So it's gonna be bye-bye Stacy. And Herschel Walker is literally tied now with Ray, Ray Raynock, uh, Warnock, sorry, the yeah, Democratic senator. Uh, in, uh, early August, Walker came back to a tie. And in early and in September, he fell back to a deficit. And now he's recovered again to a tie. So, and Georgia's the most reliable of the comeback states because at least we're pretty sure there of an honest vote count. But I believe that it is impossible for the Democrats to carry Georgia in an honest election. I think, which we can have. I think that the state has tipped. Uh, it is clearly a red state, and uh, I do not think that the Democrats are going to win in Georgia. So we have two key takeaways, Nevada and Georgia. We also have decent shots. The the race in New Hampshire hasn't matured yet because we just nominated our candidate, uh, and we need to see how that evolves. And uh, then we have a potential takeaway in Arizona, but our candidate there uh, against Kelly, Masters, has been fa- has been failing and is uh, five points behind. Uh, but Katie, but uh, the governor candidate, Kerry Lake, is way ahead of Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, and Arizona may be restoring it to its sanity and being what it's always been, which is a reliably red state. So the way I put the outcome now is I would say that it is – very unlikely that we lose the Senate again. Uh, it is, I think, very likely that we emerge with 51 or 52 senators, and there is a shot at 53 or 54. But I would not rule out a major Republican wave because all the things are moving forward. Biden's screwing up. The Democratic Party is in full retreat. Inflation is closing in on them. The recession is looming, and I think we still could be having a major outbreak in October for the Republicans. I think that that's – I wouldn't say it's likely, but I would say it's close to likely. So keep I'll keep you posted, but that's the state of play right now.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC.
1: The other factor that you need to factor into the election outcomes is that as the polling approaches uh, districts that matter, as opposed to statewide numbers or national numbers, the prospects look very much better for Republicans. So in McLaughlin's survey, for example, of uh, generic voting, Republicans have a four-point lead, but in swing states... We have a nine-point lead, and ABC um, Washington Post poll took congressional, di- working with five thirty-eight. Nate Silver's grad, took districts that are really rated as swing districts that could go one way or the other and surveyed a sample of those districts combined and found Republicans with a 20-point lead. So the closer you get to actual turnout, the better the Republicans do, and I think that that's... That's going to be very important and ultimately decisive. Um, so, so I I think that we're doing increasingly well. Um, let's go to uh, Jerry in Passaic. Dick, hey Jerry. You know what I know we're going to win big, but the thing that scares me a little bit the last fifty three days until the changeover, what mischief and what ba- what bad things they can do, you know, between November 8th and January 3rd Oh, yeah, know, the Layton Duck period. Well, that's the very le- pressing interview, uh, Jerry. The, the key thing is going to be, uh, I've said this on previous shows, but we'll talk about it more as the election approaches and after it, is that there is now a commin- – com- the budget expires, basically, on December 16th. And at that point, they could either pass a new budget – for next year that includes all of Biden's spending and the IRS agents, or they could refuse to pass it, risk a government shutdown, and say we're only going to pass something that expires in January when the new Republican Congress takes over. And we need to see how much we win Congress by and what the reaction to that is. But that's going to be the fight of the century. And it's going to determine whether there's one more year or no more years of this kind of crazy Biden spending. Uh, Anna in Long Island, what's up?
0: Hey, hey, Dick. It's very nice to talk to you. You're a very intelligent man. Okay, here's my problem. I work in the Postal Service on Long Island here. And the problem with this whole thing that's going on, I feel, is that us getting out to people that don't really understand the situation about George Soros, about trying to get communist socialist agenda here, me and you know, but what's going on, that the small minded people, like at work, minorities or even white people that are less intelligent, that we are not getting the message out to the I don't know. Well, can't Anna, find the it Democrats. I say
1: the the issue the issue to get out is inflation, and that is a transparent issue that's obvious to everybody. We're finding that it is particularly potent with voters under the age of forty, because for the rest of us, inflation is somewhere between a hardship and an inconvenience, but for people under the age of forty, it's an impediment and a barrier to living their lives. Uh, not only can 't they get gas they can 't buy a car uh, they can 't get married they can 't have children they can 't move out of the mom 's basement they can 't start their lives because of inflation, and so that we 're finding that in the polling among under forty voters, which is a key democratic constituency, that the feeling of the out of inflation is really roiling them. And increasingly, that I think is becoming, by far, the major issue of the election. Uh, go to the, the major issue of the election, and I think we need to know that. Now, uh, the other thing that is bedeviling the Democrats is that Biden is really, really losing it. Yet a, uh, Make that a total eclipse of the brain. Uh, Biden was that in? How do
0: you,
1: how do you- oh, that's Cackola Harris.
0: She's in there, they're com- comfortably normal. Thank you. Also.
1: Yeah, she's doing great too. Uh, so,
0: okay. you- it's great. It is kind of funny though. Let's just end with that. Though.
1: Would you stop tickling her? <laughs> Okay, so Biden was at a memorial service last week for Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who died in a car crash two months ago in Indiana. He's at a memorial service for her. It's all about her death. Everyone's standing up and saying she was a great person. We loved her. And this is what Biden said.
0: Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie. I don't think she was going to be here to help make this a reality. What a, yeah, she's in what the
1: a, coffin, you idiot. What
0: a friggin' idiot. Friggin' idiot. You see
1: that coffin in front of you? That's her. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, is that that is demented. I mean, that goes beyond senility.
0: You know, people say, oh, like, oh, she had jet lag and she had the, You're the vice president. You're the president. Come on, get it we Well, together. listen to
1: what she said.
0: So the United States... Shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea.
1: Yeah, we fought and a war called the it Korean is an War, that is and, and our boring. troops didn't go south; they went north. Yeah, I don't think the forty thousand Americans who died there would be laughing with you, Kim, a cackler. So. I mean look how far how much more evidence do you need to discredit this administration? They, I mean, do you trust these people with the United States of America, particularly with Putin going nuclear? yeah' right I mean this guy can 't find his way out of a paper bag and he 's suffering from the senility, and Harris is suffering from stupidity, and neither one is really curable so i think <laughs> so I think that that we're we're looking at major uh, a major deterioration in both of our leaders, and you just can't, and, and to re-elect them, to give them control of Congress again, is just beyond the pale of, of of reasonableness. Let's go to Daniel in the Bronx. Hi, Daniel. Hi, you were talking about Iran, Iran leadership, the Ayatollah's talk about wiping Israel off the face of the earth. Do you believe it seriously considered mad. Mutual Assured Destruction, Israel has at least 200 nuclear weapons. I think that Iran would like to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And I think that Israel needs to take unilateral measures for its own defense. To rely on Biden and the U.S. to stop Iran from going nuclear, I think, is is far-fetched and unlikely but I have a lot of confidence in the Israelis' ability to do that. I'll have a lot more confidence if Netanyahu comes back in power, and I think he probably will. Really? Yeah, soon. Well, the the coalition arrangement calls for that. Uh, Let's go to George in Rockland County.
0: Uh, Hello, uh, Mr. Morris. So uh, before I get to my point here, I have a quick uh, question here. I have some family in Washington State. I'd like to know what you think about Smiley uh, really taking over
1: uh, uh, Murray. Great question. There are a series of races where the Republicans could win if we really have a good red tide. And like I said, the turnout data and the recent polling suggests that that may be happening. And the common sense, when you look at Biden and Harris and inflation, increasingly points in that direction. One of them is Tiffany Smiley. Believe me, what a name. Running against Patty Murray for the Senate in Washington. The polls now have her about six behind. But uh, she's been gaining and she's coming on very strong. The second one is in Colorado where John O'Day, uh, who is a moderate Republican, a rhino, obviously, who is um, pro-choice and other stuff. But as a result of that, he's gaining on Michael Bennett, the Democratic candidate. And I think he may have a chance of toppling him. And then in a slightly longer shot in Connecticut, Loretta Levy, who we've had on this show, is running against Dick Blumenthal and has a shot at winning it. I think that it's very possible that there is a major Republican sweep and that we win them all. I hope so. So we've talked about like topics today, the danger of nuclear war, that it would mean an EMP. Uh, electromagnetic pulse, what that is and how we can stop it. We talked about how August was the month for the Democrats, but September has been the month for the Republicans, and October and November may be the year for the Republicans. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next week. It's an honor, Dick
0: Morris.